0: I don't think our kids ever said, are we there yet? Except as a joke. But once they learnt the phrase, boy, did they know how to use it. Uh, With a twinkle in the eye, the moment the seatbelt was put on, are we there yet? Patience is hard. Uh, We joke about kids saying, Are we there yet? But plenty of adults find patience hard too. Uh, Patience is hard and sometimes when you've been waiting uh, what feels like a long time, uh, when things take a long time to happen, it's common to give up hope and assume, well, it's it's never coming. Have you ever felt that with the promised return of Jesus? Uh, Maybe when you've gone through a dark time maybe a time of suffering or crisis. You've heard the promise that Jesus will return and make all things new to wipe away every tear and you've wondered, well, why not now? Why not before now? Maybe the return of Jesus doesn't cross your mind often at all. On the other hand, some Christians are obsessed with the return of Jesus. They've got charts and graphs that believe they believe reveal the secret of when it'll be or the secret of the events and signs that will indicate the time is near. Even in the first century, almost 2,000 years ago, even back then, some people were impatient, confused as to why has Jesus taken so long? So much so that the reason Peter wrote this letter, the letter of 2 Peter, the reason he wrote this letter was to remind believers of the truth and explain why Jesus had not yet returned. So this letter was written not to tell them anything new, but to remind the believers of the truth that they'd heard before, but were getting a bit impatient. To See happen, so have a look at verse one, so this is two Peter chapter three and verse one. dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles uh, there 's nothing new in this letter, just what the prophets of old and the apostles of Jesus had been saying, and it 's a good reminder for us too, we live in a world obsessed with new this week, Apple announced a bunch of new technology and new software. I got excited. We are excited about what is new with upgrades with the next big thing. Some people want that from church. Tell me something new about God. Let me in on some secret new revelation. But because God doesn't change, the truth doesn't change. If you hear nothing new today, if everything we sing, everything that's read and taught, if it's all a reminder to you, that's good. We need reminders. We need reminders because some people do come with new teaching about God. But what they're really doing is scoffing at the truth. Verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. On one level, this is a fair enough question. What's the message of Jesus? What's the gospel? It's the message that in Jesus, God's promised Messiah has come. God's promised kingdom is now here. The promised Holy Spirit has come for all who turn and trust in Jesus. The message of the apostles is that the last days are now. That's what verse 3 says. The last days began when Jesus rose from the dead. And at the time Peter was writing, they'd been in the last days for about 30 years. And why hasn't Jesus returned? We heard he would return at the beginning of the book of Acts. The angels say that Jesus will return, Acts one eleven. Men of Galilee, the angels said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It's been 30 years. Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Christians were still getting sick and dying, suffering all kinds of persecution and loss. What's Jesus waiting for? And so the false teachers were making mockery of the apostles' teaching. It's been 30 years, it is not coming back. And to give some credit to these false teachers, as we heard last week, they were living consistently with their beliefs. If Jesus isn't going to come back and judge the world, then let's live like there is no judgment. Abuse our power for our own benefit and pleasure. It's not really much credit to give them though, is it? So Peter doesn't give them any credit to these false teachers because they're not just simply mistaken. They're not just mistaken. It's not that they're doubting and wondering, oh, it's been 30 years, is Jesus coming back? No, they were were certain. They were certain that they knew the truth, that Jesus will return to judge, but they deliberately put it out of their minds. Verse 5. But they deliberately forget... That long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The false teachers are claiming everything's always been the same. God has never intervened, so he's not going to do it in the future. Jesus will not return to judge. But what are they forgetting? That God is the creator. Verse 5, they forget God created the whole universe by his powerful word. God didn't sweat over creation. I sweat just pushing a lawnmower. That's not even making anything. God didn't even sweat to make everything. He spoke it into being. Uh, The language of waters, out of water, by water. Uh, Peter's picking up the description of creation in Genesis 1. Uh, Probably a mix of Genesis 1 verse 2, the chaotic watery deep before God spoke. Or Genesis 1 9, God separating the waters in order to prepare dry land. The land on which animals and people would live. The point is, everything hasn't always been this way. The universe had a beginning, God created. But, secondly, more than this, God has judged in the past. And Peter continues with the image, the imagery of water. He brings to mind God's judgment in the flood. The point is, everything hasn't always been the same. God has judged. Putting those two things together, what does it mean? If God has judged before, if God is the powerful creator, he will judge again, and this time, with fire. If you look at verse 10, it says, uh, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Things haven't always been the same, and so things won't always continue the same. God will judge the world through fire. Fire, it's a picture of both judgment and refinement. Yes, we use fire to burn rubbish and we also use it to refine metals. When I worked for CSIRO, we used some pretty serious fire. We had to wear these crazy insulated suits to go anywhere near it. Why do we use this fire? We use the hot fire to purify and process iron ore. We're in Gimpy, so we think about gold. don't We We've smelt gold to get rid of the rubbish and preserve what is pure. In the same way, God will judge and refine the world with fire. And it'll happen unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Uh, our kids love the Find My Friends app On the phones. Whenever family is coming to visit, they love watching the little icon move along the map so they know when to expect them. But thieves do not share their location with you. They don't send an email asking if next Tuesday would be a convenient time to be robbed. Jesus will return. The fiery judgment of God will come Like a thief in the night. But you might be thinking, okay, I get that it'll be unannounced and unexpected, but why has it taken so long? In Peter's days, it had been about 30 years, but now it's been about 2,000 years. Why so long? Well, it's not that God is slow. It's not that God's forgotten or he hasn't got a plan. It's because God has a gracious and loving plan to save. Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God has a plan. The triune God has decided when Jesus will return to judge and save. And from God's perspective, it hasn't been that long. Uh, Boys and girls, listen up. I've got some really bad news for you. It's going to be more than 11 months before Christmas comes again. And if you're three years old, maybe if you're more than three years old, that's a very long time, but if you're three years old, you may not understand the maths, but that is a third of your life that's got to occur before Christmas comes again. But kids, guess what? For adults, we're worried about how soon Christmas is coming again. We think we're going to blink, and next thing you know, the tree's going to be up, and once again, there are some people who can't wait. Time is a matter of perspective, isn't it? And God isn't just older than any of us. God is eternal. There has never been a time when God is not. And there never will be a time when God is not. God is eternal. And from the perspective of forever, 2,000 years is nothing. He hasn't even checked his watch yet. God knows when Jesus will return and he's not rushed. But at the same time, God isn't distant or uninvolved in our lives. It's not that the eternal God sits back looking at history from a distance. No, one day is also like a thousand years to him. God is personally and intimately involved in every moment of your life. God is eternal, and God is intimate. So back to Peter's question: we're wrong to think God is slow. Because of eternity, God, is, God has an eternal perspective on time. God's not slow, he's patient. This means God has a purpose. Jesus hasn't forgotten to return. There's a reason why Jesus didn't return before Peter wrote this letter. A reason why he hasn't returned yet is because of salvation. Jesus knows those he will save and he won't return until all have been called to repentance. Jesus' patience means salvation. Jesus' patience means today is the day of repentance. And this means if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you've not turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, God is still being patient, but one day that patience will end. A day has been set when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead, to judge the world with fire, and on that day the only way to be safe is to be found in Jesus, to be one of his people, trusting in him. Today can be that day for you. Cry out to Jesus for salvation. Now, I need to get off the main point for a moment uh, to mention a question verse 9 raises. Uh, What does it mean God does not want anyone to perish? Uh, This verse is often thought to cause a dilemma for Reformed or Calvinist Christians. If you don't know what those words mean, that's okay. Uh, It's just a shorthand way of saying that we believe the Bible teaches that sin is a really big problem. But God is a really powerful and really gracious God, a really gracious Saviour. And in God's kindness, he reaches out and saves his people. That God mercifully elects or chooses his people. And some people think, well, verse 9 contradicts this way of understanding God. But I reckon verse 9, read out of context and in the wrong way, it's a problem whether you're Reformed or Arminian. Either way, either way, it sounds like God wants to do something but he doesn't or he can't. The dilemma is... Not everyone will repent. Some will perish. So maybe God is speaking out both sides of his mouth, that he really wants something to happen, but at the same time he really doesn't want something to happen. That potentially is the problem for Reformed or or Calvinistic, Calvinistic type ways of thinking. Or maybe God really wants something to happen, but he's powerless. He can't actually do what he wants. That's the Arminian dilemma, that God ends up less than the powerful God we meet in Jesus. But I reckon, as we read this verse in context, it doesn't contradict other things the Bible says about God being a loving, merciful, powerful saviour who saves his people. Who's the you in verse 9? Who is God being patient with? In verse 9, it's the people Peter's writing to. So in the first instance, it's the churches in the first century. And by extension, it's believers throughout history. In the context, the you God is patient with, the you God does not want to perish, are his people. And this is good news. This is great news for you and me. If Jesus had returned 100 years ago, if that was God's plan, none of us would get to spend eternity with Jesus. If Jesus had returned 20 years ago, some of us would have perished. Some of us would not yet have been called by God, but God is patient and isn't that good? So far, Peter's told us, God isn't slow. But patient, because Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead. And if this is the case, if this is the future of the universe, that Jesus will return, the elements dissolved, and the truth of everything revealed, how should we live? What should we we be pouring our energy and attention into? Well, there are two things we're told to do. We should live wholeheartedly for Jesus, and we should hold out Jesus As the only hope for salvation. Verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you, you believers, be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, don't you believe that? (laughs) Which ignorant and unstable people distort, same then as it is now, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Before we get on to how then we should live, there's one notable thing Peter does not say we should do. He doesn't say, Hey, Christians, spend your time looking for secret clues and signs of when Jesus will return. A decade ago, uh, there were billboards put up all over the world. Uh, the billboard said, The Bible guarantees that Judgment Day is coming May 21, 2011. I remember I would see one regularly on one of the busiest roads in Sydney. Uh, the bloke behind these billboards was Harold Camping. He sincerely believed he'd found a secret calendar in the Bible that revealed the end but he was devastatingly wrong. Uh, this week I learnt about another failed prediction. In 1921, Walter Marx, who was a politician in the federal government, he was a uh, seat of Wentworth, so Malcolm Turnbull eventually took on this guy's seat. This guy said in Parliament, so in Canberra, this is recorded in Hansard, he said the world would end in 1934. Wrong again. Not only wrong because it didn't happen, but wrong because it's approaching the Bible the wrong way. It's asking the wrong questions. Now, Peter doesn't say, since Jesus will return, start looking for clues and signs. No, Je- no, he says, Jesus will return like a thief in the light. Sorry, thief in the night. A thief in the light would be a very different metaphor, wouldn't it? The thief in the night, you're not gonna know, but be prepared. The point of the Bible isn't to give clues and secret knowledge. It's there by way of reminder of the truth that is revealed to all. It's to make us wise for salvation. It's so we can trust in Jesus and live for him. So don't go looking for clues and secret knowledge. There are plenty of people on the internet, on TV, selling their books. Just ignore them. It's forcing you, it's encouraging you to ask the wrong questions of the Bible and miss the point. So since Jesus is going to, though, to return in power, we don't know when. If God is not being slow but patience, patient, what should we do? We're to make every effort to live holy and blameless lives, live blameless and spotless lives. It's just like what we heard in chapter 1. I've got it up on the screen, 1 Peter 1 verse 5, for this very reason. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, kindness, and to knowledge, sorry, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Why should we be doing this? Why should we be making every effort to live godly lives, Christ-like lives? Well, it's because if you're trusting in Jesus, your eternal destiny are the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. The home of righteousness. This refers to Jesus, the only perfectly righteous one who ever lived. Jesus is the the only righteous one who died for the unrighteous to bring us to God. That's what 1 Peter 3.18 says. The new heavens and the new earth are where we'll see Jesus, the righteous one, face to face. And it's also where believers will live renewed. Finally, having sin, our sinful desires, our brokenness, it's going to be gone. We'll be purified, the rubbish burnt away, the gold of the image of God remaining. And if sin is rubbish, if it's impurity that's going to be burnt away, well, we're going to turn away from that now, aren't we? There's nothing to be gained in wallowing in the mud of sin going back like the dog to its vomit. So we're called now to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Righteousness will be our future, so righteousness is to be our present. And we're called to hold out the hope of Jesus. Remember, God's patience means salvation. Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Because there are more people Jesus is going to save. God isn't being slow but patient. There are people who are currently dead in their sins to whom the Spirit will give life and faith in Jesus. And that gives us great confidence to tell people about Jesus because we know God's heart, God's will. God is still saving people. Starting next week, uh, we're going to be back in the book of Acts. I trust God will be working in our hearts through the account of the earliest believers. As we see God's hand at work, his unhindered kingdom, we're going to be reminded and encouraged that God's mission is still to have the good news of Jesus spread far and wide. Because we're not there yet. Are we there yet? No. But Jesus will return in power, We now are living in the day of salvation, the day for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, the time for us to tell the world that their only hope for escaping the wrath to come is in Jesus. That's what we've been called to be. Let's pray that God will continue to do that in us. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the promise That Jesus will return and make all things new. This is good news. Because we live in a world feeling the force, the pain, the impact of sin. And not only the world, but we struggle against sin. We feel the weight of our own sin and brokenness, as well as the impact of being sinned against. And so we cry out, come Lord Jesus. Please help us to not be distracted by those who would look for signs and clues for the return of Jesus. Instead, let us have our eyes fixed on him. May we live spotless and blameless lives, growing more and more like Jesus. And strengthen us to speak of Jesus, knowing your patience means salvation, that there are people even in our region who you will save through the gospel of Jesus. So please be doing this. Be saving many in our region and throughout the world. Please strengthen, grow and encourage us for Jesus' sake. Amen.